Um, we're wrapping up a series called uh, Entangled, the Mystery of Relationships. And you can get the rest of the messages on the website. You can download them. Uh, it's been a tremendous series. I've got all kinds of feedback from everybody, and the Lord's really spoken in the deal. But we want to wrap it up today and uh, take this whole series and kind of put it and close it. And then next week we'll start a new series called it, And It Too Shall Come to Pass. And that's not about my kidney stones, right? <laughs> Somebody else came with that this morning. Uh, but it will be about Jerusalem, and we will be talking prophetically as we head towards Easter. It should be a tremendous series. I'm reading a bunch of stuff on Israel right now, and uh, should really be a, a great study. So we'll head that way. But this morning we're going to wrap up on Entangled. And to do that, I want to tell you about an event that happened yesterday. Last Sunday, we've been praying as a church for Randy and Debbie Lawrence. And last Sunday, uh, Debbie went into the presence of the Lord. And, um, and the funeral was yesterday, and we went to it. And it was a spectacular deal. A spectacular deal. <clears throat> and um, they talked about Deb passed with such grace and joy that the people at Providence Hospital, the staff who see hundreds of deaths all the time, said, we have never seen anyone die like this. She died with the same smile on her face that she had when she came in. And then her husband got up and shared. And I don't know if you've ever thought about what that would be like to try and do that, but it was nails beautiful. I mean, you want to talk about something that was solid and in the spirit and, and full of faith in the midst of all kinds of tragic loss. It was astounding to be a part. And when the service then broke into worship, it was an amazing experience for everybody there together. And that kind of being able to stand in the midst of that kind of trauma, in the midst of that kind of loss, and to stand in the grace of God when He gives you a greater grace for that moment is what we've been talking about. We've been talking about getting unentangled uh, from some of the things, but some of the things in our lives prove to be pretty sticky, don't they? And they're kind of hard to work out. So we're going to uh, do uh, this morning, I want to let you know at the end of the service, we're going to do an anthem song. It's not even a Christian song, right? But the spirit of the song represents well what we need to do. So old rockers, you will like this, okay? Um, and I just want you to know, say, so how come it's in a Jesus song? Like, just get over it, all right? <laughs> just get over it, okay? Because it represents what we're going to do well. But before we get there, I wanna, we're going to walk through this here. So let's pray this morning, all right? And then we'll start. Father, um, a lot of us know what it's like to be entangled. A lot of us know what it's like to be enmeshed. We know how our own thoughts, our own spirits, our own mud. It's hard to get out of a slimy pit. It's hard to uh, take a stand often when we're, we feel so defeated. And yet, uh, you have asked us to stand in the midst of the pressures of life that come our way and to anticipate trouble, to anticipate trials, and to have your strength in the midst of them, Lord. And that was, I think, phenomenally displayed yesterday at Debbie Lawrence's memorial service. What a spectacular display of grace and faith. And Lord, we want to be that way too. That uh, the harder you squeeze us, the more true it comes out. And so we seek you this morning as we put a wrap on this series. May you wrap it well in your spirit. And we ask this in your name. Amen. All right. So I want to start with this. This passage actually um, comes from the experience yesterday. And it, it's out of Philippians. It says this. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to even subject all things to himself. 
Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Two thoughts I want to pull from that as we get started this morning. First of all, it says that the Lord Jesus will take our lowly bodies and transform them uh, like his glorious body. You know, and uh, I don't know if you've been at a place yet. You know, if you're young and in your 20s, you're pretty bulletproof, right? Woohoo! Run into the wall. Wow, bang, ouch, that was fun. Let's do it again, right? It's kind of just the thing you do in your 20s. But as you get older, you probably have run into things where your body has failed you. And all of a sudden you're going, ah, this is not working the way I wanted. And as they talked, uh, Randy and, and Deb went on their 25th wedding anniversary cruise. She literally came off the cruise, went to the hospital, and a month later was dead. Can you imagine going through that? And they talked about the fact that as she went through that process, just in one short month, and she's a pretty active gal, pretty healthy gal. And uh, within one short month, her body no longer did what it was supposed to do. And, and the Debbie that they knew really wasn't there anymore because the body didn't work. But Scripture says Jesus is going to take that corrupted, fallen, broken thing and turn it into something that's resurrected and is going to be like his resurrected body. So that's, that's a great hope. But the other thing is in the midst of that, because of that, then it asks us to stand firm in the Lord. And this whole idea of needing to stand firm in the midst of trials. And I'm not belittling any of our trials. I'm not belittling anything any of us in this room have been through. I know most of us. I know the stories. And we have been through some hard, hard stuff. Some recently, some in the past, some right now. But we are still asked to stand firm. Why do we need to stand? Why the strong admonition? Well, the truth is, because in this life, we are going to face many troubles. And I have news for you. They pick you, you don't pick them. Yesterday, as we sat at the memorial service, you realized Randy had no choice in this. It didn't, he didn't get to opt whether he got to go through this or not. It picked him. Right? And so he had to decide how he was going to respond as he went through it, not whether he was going to go through it or not. And it says here, I have told you all these things. This is Jesus' speaking to the disciples. So that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Now just focus on that phrase for a second. I have overcome the world. Often when you look at the world, it doesn't look like Jesus has overcome anything. It looks like pain and suffering and everything. We live in a world of wars and rumors of wars, of disappearing airplanes, of things that are just baffling and it's like, where is the Lord working? And yet, the Lord is working across the planet in fantastic ways. If we only knew, we would be shouting His praises this morning. He is the resurrected Lord. And He said, I will give you peace. Peter admonishes us when we go through trials. By the way, I thought it was quite humorous of the Lord to illustrate this with me going through kidney stones while I'm preaching on this. Thank you very much. That was good. But He says, not to be surprised at the fiery ordeal when it comes upon us. Right? In other words, life has its troubles. If you live in this planet for any length of time, you're going to run into these troubles. Now, Scripture has a whole list of words that go along with this idea of facing trials or troubles. Listen to this list. You, you've heard these before, but just put them all together and watch it stack up uh, in this category. Trials, afflictions, tests, fires, furnace, persecutions, hardships, agonies, sufferings, vexations, confusions, 
mistreatment, torments, disappointments, betrayals, lamentations, insults, griefs, etc., etc., etc. Any of you heard those, that list before? Any of you lived that list before? Right? I imagine at some point in your life you've probably run into one or two of those words. But the strong promise of Scripture is that it also says that the peace of God overcomes the world and will guard our hearts and minds into Christ Jesus. Jesus has overcome the world. And often in my office when someone comes and I listen to the story, I have no response other than all I can do is point you back towards Jesus. All I can do is point you back towards Him. Because His grace, His sufficiency, is, will overcome the trial that you're in. And in that, there's great promise of comfort. We don't just stand on our own, but the Bible promises all kinds of comfort that comes our way if we lean into the pressure with the Lord instead of leaning away and getting bitter. It's just really easy to get bitter and upset. And, and you know, we do this with the Lord, right? We say, um, Lord tells us, don't grab that, that's sin. And we, then we grab it. And then it bites us or kills us. And then we get mad and say, why did you let me do that? Like, we, we play that blame game really well, right? We flip it. As if the Lord made us choose that? No. He told us not to grab it. He told us what would happen when we grabbed it. Then we grabbed it and it happened. Then we get mad at Him. How could you let me go through this? Right? As that kind of thing. But the promise of comfort. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. When it says God of all comfort there... It's not just descriptive. Uh, we have lots of names for God, like Jehovah Jireh. God is our provider, and uh, El Shaddai, and, and all these kind of words. And this word, God of comfort, is a name for God. His name is, He is the God of comfort. It's actually a formal name. Who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with we ourselves are comforted by God. Have you ever gone through something? Right? And then after you've gone through it, God brings other people to you who've gone through the same thing. And what are you able to do when you've gone through that? You're able to comfort, right? Anybody else have kidney stones? Brotherhood of the stone, baby, we're in, right? We can talk. We know what it means. We can talk about pain and we, we can identify together and we can bring comfort to each other. Any of you lose a parent? Any of you gone through divorce? Any of you had heartache? Right? It's amazing how God brings comfort through His Spirit uh, to, from other people. It goes on to say, for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings. And that idea there is foreign to us because we don't think of the church as a place where we come together to share in sufferings. We think of a place where we come together so we don't have to go through sufferings. Right? There's a subtle flip there. So in Christ we, abundantly, we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we're comforted, it's for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. In other words, there's something about entering into the sufferings of other people that you get comfort. Um, I have found that it's really true that... Um, being in hospitals teaches you something about the grace of God you cannot learn at weddings. I've always said you learn far more about life at funerals than you do at weddings. Because weddings teach you about the beginning of things. Funerals teach you about the end. Okay? And 
they teach you about what really matters and what's really important. And it also teaches you about suffering and how to go through it well. And so in this process, then, we experience a lot of comfort. And the plan isn't just that we would go through this alone. Comfort is promised not only to the Lord himself, but also from the body. You know, when you think of the church, when you think of coming on Sundays, what do you think of? What's your picture you have in your mind? A lot of people, you know, the picture is, uh, this is a place filled with people who have arrived. They have it all together. I am sanctified, and you should be too. Okay? And it's the picture of those who... Uh, don't have needs and, and they've got life figured out and they're holy people and they're kind of perfect and they don't have time to be around other people who aren't perfect. That's one picture people have often of the church. Another picture is, others would say it's a place filled with hypocrites because they act like they have it all together, but they don't, right? And so they're just a bunch of hypocrites because they know our weaknesses and failings. They watch us and they, they see where we make mistakes and they go, well, you know, they're just talking out of the side of their mouth. They, they don't have it together, so it's just a bunch of hypocrites. Others would say the church is a plastic place. A place where people smile and when asked, how are you doing? We say, why, fine, thank you. But the real stuff, the real levels of life, the real hurt, never really gets on the table. And so uh, church is where you play plastic, you fake. How are you doing? Nice to meet you. Glad you came. Yeah, me too. And it stays on that level. But there's a whole lot more going on in our lives than that level together. For me, the best picture of the church is that of a hospital. Okay? A spiritual hospital, a place where uh, people come together, people who are hurting, people who are suffering, people who are entangled, right? And saved, and we come together. A place where even the doctors and nurses get sick sometimes place of belonging and healing. Listen again to the words of Isaiah 61. These were the words that Jesus quoted at the beginning of his ministry. He said this, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom from the captives, those entangled that can't get ensnared. To release from darkness, from the prisoners. You ever been blind in your own sin, right? And you couldn't see it for what it was. And, and you know the Lord told you to get out and you just, you can't see it. And then five years later, you look back and go, oh, God was actually trying to help me. Duh. You ever done that? Prisoner of your own devices? It says that he's come to release the darkness for the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of the vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, and of oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor. Now this last idea, this idea of oaks of righteousness, can be found all through uh, scripture, But if you look in Psalm 1, there's a picture of a tree firmly planted by a stream of water. And the idea there is that its roots are well nourished, it's well anchored, and even when uh, drought or uh, famine come, that tree sits there and it flourishes and it's really doing well. And that tree um, 
doesn't get moved or doesn't get rocked because that tree knows its job is to stay right there where the water is and keep drinking in the water. And that tree looks really green, looks really healthy. If you look at all the rest of the landscape, it looks parched and barren and looks like a desert. But if you look at that tree, that tree is standing exactly where it's supposed to be and it's full of life, it's full of water. And that's the picture that um, we get when it comes to Scripture and the fact that in the midst of all of our trials, in the midst of all the hardships and the things we run up against, in the troubles and afflictions that come our way, some we pick by our own stupidity, some that pick us just by the way life is, that it comes that way to get us. We are to stand. We are to stay firm in the Lord. We are to stay uh, solid in His grace. And it's a strong encouragement from Scripture to be vigilant in removing sin from our life. Because sin just has an absolutely amazing way of entangling us. Anybody ever notice that? Right? It can strangle us. If you let it, it'll strangle us spiritually and relationally. And so the admonition in Scripture is found here in Hebrews, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Right? And we've been using this entangled theme and that's where the, the, it came from, is this idea of sin that so easily entangles. Um, sin is subtle. Sin is effective. And by the way, if you are sinning this morning and you're caught in a sin and there's a pattern of sin and you know it's sin, you should stop doing it right now. Because Scripture says it's not going to go well for you. It's not good. The payday for sin is death. It will kill you. It will try to strangle you. And uh, often we don't realize how sticky sin is. I remember when we first moved out and Jan heading his sons were at Nate and... Uh, um, Yes, Jeremy. There we go. They were kids. And the first thing they did when we showed up is they hit the deck off the porch, down the back, and down a ravine. Right? And the next thing we heard was yelping and screaming and hollering. And they came back up about 20 minutes later and we tried to figure out what in the world are they doing? And here they come up and they are scraped and cut and slashed, right? Because they didn't know what blackberry bushes were. Right? And, uh, you know, that we, did, we had little blackberry bushes in Wisconsin, but not these 20-foot monsters. And you ever walk through the woods and just one thorn catches your shirt, right? And the next thing you know, you whip and pull, and all of a sudden you're wrapped up in the stuff. And that is exactly like the picture that God paints for sin. It doesn't take much to get snagged. It doesn't take much to get snared. It doesn't make much. You just play a little bit, and the next thing you know, you're all wrapped up. And it, it, it kind of encoils you, and you're just really then entangled. And so the admonition is that we are to throw off everything that so easily entangles. And I think, I want to take you to the Psalms this morning, because I think that's one of the reasons we identify so well uh, with the Psalms in King David's heart when he reads the Psalms. Because David wrestled with things like we wrestle with, and he put it into words that we can identify with. Um, Many of us often find ourselves in the Psalms um, we're attracted and moved by them. Uh, sometimes I think even without even realizing why. It's just saying something that resonates with us. We identify with the spirit of the struggle, the entanglement, salvation, the standing, the blessing, the thankfulness, the gratefulness, and the worship that we find uh, in the Psalms kind of comes pouring out. Let me just share one of these snippets. This is out of Psalm 18, and I think you'll recognize this. 
says, I called to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I have been saved from my enemy. So he's going to recount an episode here that where it looked like it was death. And he's going to talk about how the Lord brought him out. Listen to the words as he describes the situation. The cords of death entangled me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. So the idea here is a picture of a guy in a flood and there's a rope and he's getting all tumbled in the water and the rope has snagged all around him and now the current's pulling it tight and it's choking the life out of him. It says, the cords of the grave coiled around me. That's like a, a boa constrictor, like a snake, just squeezing, trying to squeeze the life out. It says, they coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. Have you ever been there? It, it's over. I'm not going to make it. I, oh, I, I, how am I going to get through today? If you aren't there, we had a bunch of people in first service who've been there and recognized it. Right? Have you ever been there where you're just like, oh, how am I, how am I going to keep going? This looks like it's going to kill us. And what does it say? It says, in the midst of those kind of trials, we have to call out to the Lord. King David was a man who understood what it was like to suffer these kind of afflictions. Just listen to a a brief biography of his life. He was attacked unjustly by King Saul. That was seven years of running for his life. Being almost stoned to death by his own men in the episode of Ziklag. He was a refugee. Uh, He had to deal as king with political intrigue and court politics. So he knew what it's like at our work situations. He He had to deal with the debris field of his own sin. He had to deal with family tragedy and heartache, the loss of the lives of several of his children. Loss of strength where he couldn't go out to battle anymore. Unfulfilled dreams. There's a number of things that David knew the gamut of suffering and grieving, yet he also knew what it was like to stand in the Lord. It says David was a man after God's own heart because in the midst of those, he stood strong in the Lord. Look at uh, Psalm 40 because there's another side to the Psalms opposite the one I've been talking about, and that's this. It says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and he heard my cry for help. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. Have you just ever felt like you have gunked your life up? You ever feel like slime? You're saying, well, Steve, how would that work? You ever dealt with the slime of your own thoughts? You ever tried to get clear in your thinking, to get clear with the Lord, to get clear in tracking, and it's just, You ever kneel down to pray and you can't remember why you knelt down to pray? Just, it's like, that gooey stuff. Yeah, just, it's slime and you, you're trying to get, and the more you do it, the more it sticks to you and, and your thoughts get worse and you had every good intention to cooperate with the Lord that morning and it just you can't clear your thoughts. And David's talking about this. He said, he lifted me out of a slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. As I, I think I mentioned, but uh, the staff up at Providence, when they watched Debbie's death, and th- these people deal with hundreds of deaths, right, in the course of uh, a couple months, they said, we have never seen anyone die with that kind of grace. It was an incredible testimony. And that's exactly what the psalm is saying right here. It says, many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in Him. What do they see? 
they see us stand in the midst of our trials and afflictions. And instead of turning bitter or getting upset or turning against the Lord, we actually stand with the Lord and they go, that's not normal. Most people don't react that way. But the question that we're facing in this era and and particularly in our country now is will the church stand? Will we stand or are we just going to cave in and, and, and give up? And why do we do that? Well, there's a danger of growing weary and losing heart, right? Uh, I think most of us, if we knew a trial was going to last one day, we can get through it. If we knew that trial was going to last a week, you know, we might do okay. If we knew it was going to go on for several years, we probably wouldn't do so well, right? You ever looked at your trials and gone, this, this is never going to end. Wow. It just keeps going. I, I can't breathe. I can't do this. Wow, if the Lord were going to help me, He needs to help me now, not three years from now. I mean, get a clue. And, and, and we wrestle with that. And, and in the process then, we grow weary. Scripture says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we do not what? What's the key phrase there? Do not give up. You ever given up? You ever just thrown your hands in and said, done? Rang the bell? Right? Navy SEALs, they have a bell. And if you're training for the SEALs, the first thing they do is they take you out there. And my friends have told me this who are Navy SEALs. And there's a little courtyard and there's a bell. And if you've had too much and you can't take it anymore and you can't uh, deal with it, you go up and you ring the bell, which says, I'm out. Okay? And it becomes this incredibly eerie sound where you're training to be a SEAL and you know one of your buddies rang the bell and they're out. You know, and that's a that's a, a secular illustration, but is it any less eerie when we're standing for the kingdom and we hear someone ring the bell and say, I'm out, gone. You know any people that are no longer in the Christian life that used to walk the Christian life with you? Right? That's discouraging. That's hard. And this whole idea here of growing weary. Hebrews says... Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, that whole band of saints and believers that have gone before us, of which now Debbie is a part, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us. And the other question this morning is, what's your race? What's unique to you that God has called you to? We aren't all coming out of the same stuff. We don't all have the same battles. What's your race? Not the race of the person next to you, but your race, what, what do you have to mark with perseverance? What has the Lord asked you to stay with, to not give up on? What has He asked you to lean into that's unique to you? That's your particular journey, your particular battle. It says, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It says this, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In other words, we have to relook at Jesus. Reset our eyes on him. It's his example we follow, not our example that we follow. And so, when we're talking about um, the Christian life and losing heart, it's easy to do when you look at the things that are going on Around you, Often those who are new to the Christian life look at us who are halfway or three-quarters of the way through it. Yes, some of you are half or three-quarters of the way through it. Sorry. 
Okay? I have news for you. And they look at us and they kind of go, well, how come you're so tired? Right? Where's your enthusiasm? Where's your faith? Come on, get it on with Jesus. Let's, you know. And, and they, kind of, they kind of really become critical and go, well, you know, you guys just kind of gave up on the whole thing. Well, they'll get there. And they'll understand one day. But for those of us who are there, we must refocus our attention on Jesus, who's the author, perfecter of our faith. We have to pause, take a breath, and then fully re-engage. Because there's a danger of ringing the bell and no longer standing. There's a danger of, as we walk through these entanglements, and we've talked about what's difficult, and we've talked about how we can get snagged up. It's just really easy to go, well, I don't think I can stand against that. I'm not sure I have what's in me to, to do that. And what Scripture says is, yes, you do. Because Jesus is the author and the perfecter of your faith. He's the one who saved you. He's the one who found you. And by the way, I want to say this again because I know how Satan lies to us, but when Jesus adopted you, it wasn't an accident. He didn't adopt all the other people in the world and you just happened to fall in the adoption batch at the time the door opened and so you're in. Okay? Adoptions are always intentional. When he found you, he found you intentionally. You are not an accident of the kingdom. You belong. You are here. He found you on purpose and He saved you and He drew you and He wants to have you stand in the midst of trials because in that, His grace breaks out. But do you ever feel like just stopping? you ever feel like quitting? you ever rest your head against the steering wheel and just go, oh, I don't think I can make it today. you ever been there? No? Nobody else? you ever just kind of set your head back and go, just let me breathe. Okay, yes, right? Lord, I need something from you in this battle that I do not have in myself. I want to read a poem to you. It's one that uh, has spoken to me, and I hope it will to you. I'm going to have the band come up, the worship team. We're going to lead us in a song. But I want you to listen to the spirit of this uh, particular poem and what it's talking about in terms of steadfastness in terms of perseverance, in terms of taking a stand uh, for the Lord. The poem is called Don't Quit. So you can kind of tell where it's going already. The encouragement this morning is to don't quit. And it reads like this. When things go wrong, and they sometimes will. Amen? When the road you're trudging seems all uphill, when the funds are low and the debts are high, when you want to smile but you have to sigh. Anybody been there? When care is pressing you down a bit, rest if you must, but don't you quit. Life is queer with its twists and turns, as every one of us sometimes learns. And many a failure turns about when he might have won had he stuck it out. Don't give up, though the pace seems slow. You might succeed with another blow. You ever quit three-quarter mark? Oh, just keep going. Often the goal is nearer than it seems to a faint and faltering man. Often the struggler has given up when he might have captured the victor's cup. And he learned too late when the night slipped down how close he was to the golden crown. Success is failure turned inside out, the silver tint of clouds of doubt, and you never can tell how close you are. It may be near when it seems afar. 
So stick to the fight when your heart is hit. It's when things seem worse that you mustn't quit. Right? You're an athlete, you understand that. Often when the pressure is the worst, we're coming into March Madness and it'll be last second buzzer shots. You've got to stay with it. You never know. And in our world right now, it doesn't look like the Lord's really went in. It doesn't really look like the Lord's uh, got an advantage. And so it just seems like, who would notice anyways, even if I didn't stand because nothing's holding anyways? That's not the point. The point is Jesus has asked us to stand. And the question is, like, in what? King David admits all the trials, entanglements, sufferings, griefs, loss, trials, and persecutions commanded us to stand strong in the Lord. Here's some things that we have to stand in. Some things that I think you'll recognize. Guys, we just went through the standing up event. Ladies, you just went through women's retreat. We're to stand firm in the Lord. We're to stand firm in our faith. We're not to be moved in our faith. We're to stand against temptation. Yes, temptation woos. Yes, it's sticky. Yes, it's sweet. And it lures. But we're to stand against it. You can stand against it. God makes it possible. We're supposed to stand in and for the gospel. Stay true to it. We're to stand the test and be obedient. What's your test? What are you being asked to be specifically right now obedient in? In your world, in your mind, in your heart, your soul, your life right now. What are you being asked? Where are you being tested and being asked to be obedient? We're to stand in Christ's freedom. We sang about that this morning. Right? In Him I'm free. Well, you can lose your freedom if you get entangled with sin and we're to stand in that freedom. We're to stand against the devil's schemes, the wiles of the devil, the tricks of the trade, the things that try to lure us away from the Lord Jesus Christ. We're to stand against the schemes of the devils. We're to stand firm in the truth. We should know what the truth is because why? The truth sets us free. We're to stand firm in one spirit. We stand in unity together because of what he's asked us to do. We're to stand firm in the will of God. You know what God's asked you to do then? You're supposed to stay with it. Don't you quit. Don't you give up. You don't expect me to. Neither can you. Right? We're to stand in the will of God. We're to stand firm in the scriptures. Many of us started reading through the Bible and I'll bet you some of us have flagged already. And some of us have missed. And some of us have, I just done I was going to try and make it through. No, 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 no. Hello, pick it back up. Pick it back up. Get back in the Word. Open the thing back up and get back to what you're supposed to do. Get back in the Word. You won't stand if you're not in it. We're supposed to stand in patience. Our time is not God's time. Our time frames never are His time frames. You ever notice that? And we better learn to be patient and we better learn to be obedient on His time schedule, not ours. Finally, we're to stand in the grace of God. It is the grace of God that allows us to stand. That's what we'll be able to do. Because of His grace, not our grace, not our strength, not our wits, what He brings to the table. We're supposed to stand for our marriages. We're supposed to stand for our families. We're supposed to stand for our church and our fellowship together. There are very critical, important things we're asked to stand for. And this morning what we're going to do is you're going to be sitting there and I want you to identify something that the Lord has asked you to stand for. Not the people around you. You. What has he asked you in this list? Is there something you can identify out of this whole series of being entangled that you're supposed to stand for between him and you? 
that he's asked of you. And when you identify that, then you stand up. Okay? That's between you and the Lord. As a matter of fact, this morning, if you want to come down to the front and you want to stand right down here and do it, you can do it. It's altar call time. All right? You can do that. So we're going to sing this song. It's an anthem. It's not a Christian song, but the spirit of it speaks to what we've been talking about.